Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Club. We are welcoming back author Joel Selvin to talk about his new book, Drums and Demons, The Tragic Life of Jim Gordon. So Joel was on here last year, I think it was, to talk about the reissue of a book, an oral history he did on Sly and the Family Stone. Well, I uh, this new book of his, which just came out this weekend, is one of the best music-related books I've ever read. If you know anything about Jim Gordon, he's one of the premier session drum guys of the 60s and 70s. He starts out playing with people like the Everly Brothers, but then he goes on to, he's in uh, uh, Derek and the Dominoes. He's got a co-write on Layla. He plays Good, Good Vibrations, which you're listening to right here. Hundreds of hit songs from that era are passed through Jim Gordon's drums. If you know anything about the story, though, he's also a schizophrenic, and it's wreaking havoc on his life. And eventually, in 1983, he murders his own mother because the voices in his head tell him to, and he spends the rest of his life in prison. In fact, he just he just died last year. It's really interesting because I came away from this book feeling a lot of sympathy for Jim. You almost, it's, it's tempting to say that it's not even his fault because of what a victim he was to the voices in his head. And I start out this interview kind of almost apologizing for feeling that way, but Joel confirms that that's the idea. That's kind of what he wanted you to think by, uh, by reading the book. The book's in two halves. The first half is basically all of the good stuff his upbringing and the music career and how he got started in the second half is when the demons start to take over. It is so tragic. It is so sad and sounds so painful. And the way Joel tells it is incredible. So anyway, it is a fascinating story and Joel uh, came back on to tell me all about this book. I have a free copy of the book to give away to Patreon supporters. So if you want to be involved in that, just join our Patreon and you can, it's two bucks a month. And then you can be in the running to win the book, which I will announce or tell more about at the end of the end of the show. Okay, here's Joel. Okay, first and foremost, I have to admit, and I don't know if this was at all your intention or anything, but when I finished reading the book, I actually ended up feeling really bad for Jim Gordon because I don't, I mean, yes, it's all his fault, of course. But he was—he just seemed so tortured by outside sources that outside sources being schizophrenia in his brain, not the real him. I don't think that I just ended up feeling kind of sorry for him by the end. Is that weird? I I, I gotta take issue with you. You said that it was his fault. It wasn't his fault. He was yeah. mentally ill, and we make a strong and vivid account of how that illness affected him and how he dealt with it for years and years and years yeah. and battled it courageously. Yeah. We also note that he's a recipient of very little help from any community, from the medical community, from the recovery community, from the music community, which doesn't even extend any compassion to this guy. Yeah. So, no, uh, uh, I don't think it's weird at all. Uh, I, I came to feel very powerfully for Jim as I, as I worked on this book. Uh, I, I saw in his troubled heart 
Yeah, that's it. And and I understood what was was the turbulence, the turmoil that he lived with. Um, I can only imagine it, and 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 I'm sure my imagination is a very poor substitute for the reality. And and reality is the funny word to use about this. That's, but Jim lived I, I, in a yeah. different world than you and I. Yes, and it's that's perfectly said. Yeah, when I say it's not his fault, what what I or it is, I don't know who else could you could where else you could place any blame, but it's just so sad. Explain for the readers the thing that I found so interesting was your de- was you detailing the pain associated with the voices. If you don't do what the voices in the head say to do, there is great pain involved. Explain that to us. Well-known phenomenon among people who work with schizophrenics, um, psychiatrists call it the electric hat band. Uh, Jim called it white hot cruelty pain, but essentially uh, the, they can cause any kind of pain in, that you can imagine. Uh, whether it's bones being crushed, whether it's a blinding white uh, uh, heat in your head, whether it's the feeling of your skin being peeled off. And these voices also, since they live in your brain, they know everything you've ever done, they know every thought you've ever had, and you're trapped with them. The the multitude of voices in Jim's head... uh, were all malevolent uh early in his life he sort of reported there was some sense of assistance from the voices but by the time he was uh afflicted most seriously they were all malevolent and chief among the voices was his mother's voice now his mother was a medical professional she worked as a nurse and and her husband went into alcoholics anonymous in 1958 so they were very familiar with the recovery community and she had some scientific knowledge about this stuff but she never understood that jim had mental illness she thought jim had trouble with drugs and alcohol and she did not understand what was going on jim would come over to dinner and her voice inside his head would say don't eat a thing it'll just kill you and his mother real life outside of his head would be saying, Jim, don't you want your dinner? Don't you want the turkey I made? Mm -hmm. So there was this huge, huge disconnect because in Jim's mind, that was his mother just running her game on him. Yeah. And that she knew what, that she was controlling him and, and, and making his life miserable. And this is what insanity is. Schizophrenia, by the way, Tom, unbelievably common. One in 100 in the general population. Multiple sclerosis is one in 10,000. Okay. So one in 100 suffer from schizophrenia. Now, of the people that suffer, half, half can't be helped at all. The other half, sliding scale, you know, from perfect, you know, got people working in in bakeries at night quietly by themselves or people that mm, have to struggle every day and jim by all accounts describing his symptoms to medical professionals was as severely afflicted as you get yes yeah and in 1975 when he started seeking psychiatric help they had only the most uh crude uh pharmaceutical uh, 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 treatments, uh, and very little understanding in the recovery community yes. of what we now know as dual diagnosis, which is you are addicted and you are mentally ill. Those things braid together in a very complex and toxic way. Uh, and, and the recovery community has learned to deal with it somewhat, you know, but yeah. in 1975, it just wasn't no a thing. Knows. Let me ask you this. In the book, you detail you, you that there are identities to some of these voices. There's the old man with the beard. There's a Greek guy. There's his mom. There's several other. How do you know that? Is that common among schizophrenics or was it specific to Jim? Did he tell you? Did someone else report that? How do you know that? That was well, so fascinating, by the way. I was fortunate to acquire a 
uh, a set of research that was done in 1988 and 89 by a pair of, I want to say, semi-professional journalists. They weren't journalists, but they got Jim to agree to work on a book with them. Uh So they had a bunch of jailhouse interviews with Jim. They had access to his medical records, to his diaries and all that. But they really didn't know what they had. Like, um, you know, I remember saying to one of them, though, you had access to his diaries. Oh, they weren't very useful. It was just his studio dates. <laughs> what? Wait. <laughs> so that, that, that stuff sat around. Um, they, they gave up the project uh, before it was even written. Huh. And and there was a bunch of interview transcripts that survived, and I managed to uh, acquire the the uh, rights to use those, and and that's where all that. Uh, yeah, it was really good stuff. Yeah, so interesting. Plus, um, something I learned on the Word in Your Ear podcast was that you had started, you started this book before, long before Jim actually passed away last year. So there would have been potential, maybe for him. I don't know what the rules are in prison at that point, but. Would he have been able to work with you on this at all or co- contribute at all? Well, Jim, uh, Jim was not responsive to any of my correspondence. Uh, if you're to visit someone in California Penal Authority, they have to invite you. Oh. Uh, you can't just drop in. Um, and it's very typical of older schizophrenics. They become much more reclusive. The people that I spoke to, that served time with Jim, described somebody who was very standoffish, not really uh, uh, part of the being on of, of the activities on the yard, and and uh, didn't belong to any prison bands or anything like that. Kept to himself. Yeah, um, he was of course uh, drugged out of his mind for the duration of his prison. That's how the penal authority deals with mental illness: is they just bomb you with uh, 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 drugs pharmaceutical drugs and 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 in order for him to stay out of the uh mainstream prison population and in a hospital he had to sign an agreement to take these drugs okay and and they 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 plowed him yeah i bet again one of my i'll never forget the at the last line of your book which is when Jim, uh, Layla is winning Clapton, these Grammys, and Jim isn't even watching anymore. He started out watching the Grammys, but he went in the other room, started having a cigarette. It won record of the year or whatever, and one of the guys goes out there to tell him, and he just says, I'll be darned. And that's the second time in the book that he says that line. And so it's a callback. You realize that for him, that because you mentioned that twice, that line alone sort of means something. And I'm just imagining this guy who is two people really there's it sounds like there's a decent jim gordon in there somewhere and then this to, you know tormented soul and uh, the decent guy is just saying i'll be darned but i want you know that song still means something after all this time you know what i mean i'll be darned is a jim gordonism yeah uh, it shows up a lot in his interview transcripts huh. uh and and it and it bespeaks the kid that grew up in the san fernando That's valley it. in the eisenhower 50s uh growing up on black and white television and early rock and roll you know yeah. that it just yeah. comes right out that's of that it. that's it i want to read that paragraph that i mentioned okay so this is on page well i don't know if it's on page 121 it's on file number 121 of the pdfs that i looked at jim moved through life like a ghost he was friendly but he had no real friends he hid himself from any close observation. His smile served him. It kept him safe and unquestioned. He was not threatening, so he went unchallenged. Nobody really knew him. He wore his trademark crisp white shirts and black slacks like a uniform. The drums were his face to the world. As long as he could play drums, he was all right. And that was something that I, another thing that I sort of took from the book was that number one, unfor- well, fortunately, when he drummed, he was able to sort of quiet the voices. Secondly, unfortunately, it seemed like when he drank, the voices were less. So no wonder he would become an alcoholic and have these problems because that would actually sort of level him in a way. You know what I mean? The cocaine also, I wondered about why he would 
use so much cocaine if you had your head filled with voices that doesn't seem indicated and i i mentioned this to a psychiatrist who said mm, regulates the dopamine oh sure okay mm. that makes sense so yeah I, i'm i'm quite uh uh clearly jim found that uh medicating himself with alcohol and illegal drugs was much more effective than the 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 sort of sledgehammer antipsychotics and tranquilizers that the psychiatric community had him but he took them all he took all yeah. of it yeah you're right he did did you i got the impression that these the potential for the schizophrenia you just touched on this a minute ago the potential for the schizophrenia was always there do you think the drugs that came in during like the joe cocker mad dogs and englishman period or maybe even Derek the dominoes do you think the drugs exacerbated or sped up the process of him no, no you don't no i don't know and, and, and the psychiatrist that i talked to okay the the Medical professionals I talk to, uh, they don't really think that the drugs had anything to do with okay. it, it. It would create judgment issues mm. and all the sundry personality problems that come with drug and alcohol abuse. But it, it really uh, it, it was a, a parallel track to the mental illness. Mm. Uh, and it was something that would. I want to say contour it for Jim. It would it would definitely help him uh, uh, control the voices and 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 uh, you know it, was, it, yeah. it, it worked for him just like the drumming works. Okay. I'm I'm certain that between the rhythmic entrainment and the report of the drums, that while he played music, he he didn't hear voices. Yeah, yeah. Do you? I wonder why he never took his own life. I got to be he honest. Did, you, did he? I thought. Mm -hmm. I, I remember you mentioning it once or twice, and I just thought it'd be. It would have been. So, this sounds terrible to say. It would have been so much easier on him and everyone else if those voices had just told him to kill himself rather than kill his mom or hurt other people. You know what I mean? Well, after his, uh, his first. Uh, residential treatment at a psychiatric hospital. He was there for a couple of months and had absolutely no improvement whatsoever. And because he was off alcohol, and, and the voices were going crazy. So he checked out of that hospital uh, against medical advice and went home and uh, took a massive overdose of sleeping pills that he'd been prescribed. His mother found him. They took him back to the hospital. And he told the psychiatrist that the voices didn't care whether he lived or died. No. Now, suicide's a very common uh, uh, final destination for schizophrenics. That hurting other people is very rare. Uh, trying to hurt themselves to stop the voices is much more common. And Jim reported that when the uh, uh, suggestion was made that he could kill his mother, it had never occurred to him, although suicide had been an ever-present thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I got to be honest, too. I felt, uh, <laughs> I felt just as bad, if not worse, for all the women in his life. You tell that story about when he's dating Rita Coolidge and he asks her to come out into the hallway in the hotel or the motel they're staying in. And she thinks he's going to propose to her. So she's full of this excitement. And when they walk out there, he slugs her in the face for no reason, knocks her out. She's, you know, falls to the floor or whatever that poor woman. And this, and, and again, I, it feels weird probably for some listeners to think that we have sympathy for a guy who would do that. But when the voices are so loud and painful in your house, in your head, he wasn't, he would have done that on his own, you know, or Rita have that to deal with that. The Rita Coolidge episode was really the, the obvious first psychotic break yeah. where the turbulence that was inside him externalized. Yeah. It's not like 
an Ike Turner kind of thing where he's using violence to control the relationship or it was an eruption that was undoubtedly as surprising to Jim as it was Rita. And there are other episodes with women. Jim sought romantic partners. He really wanted to be part of a couple, but schizophrenics do not have the ability to maintain relationships. And Jim didn't have relationships. He, he worked with people, but they weren't his friends. Yeah. And uh, he had a daughter that he had no idea what to do with as a father. Uh, he was married twice and had girlfriends all along. But none of these relationships could endure because he didn't have the ability to make human relationships work. Yeah, yeah. You talk about him beating up Renee. Um his second wife right and then and you also mentioned it made it i didn't know this and then i was curious too he has at one point an affair with mama cass do you know of any potential violence in that relationship or did it go okay and it just was a short uh, uh period of time there was a, a chicago gig there was a miami gig and then there was a few weeks where they were seeing each other okay. in uh, los angeles it wasn't a a, a big deal uh, okay. the relationship but it was it was uh you know i mean yeah mama yeah. cass man i know that's why i wondered that that stuck out to me um do you have any idea you probably do about his finances because bobby whitlock was on here year and a half ago or something like that and we were talking about all of this and jim obviously i didn't know your book was coming but jim bobby made the comment he said he's got to be the richest man in in california penal system or whatever because yeah because bobby knows how much money he makes as a co-writer for layla and can only imagine what he's not a co-author of layla isn't he uh, layla is clapton and gordon i thought whitlock was on there no, he is not. Anyway, and okay. of course, Rita Coolidge should have been. Yes, that was another thing I was going to mention. So th- did those royalties just pile up in an account somewhere for Jim? Did Amy, his daughter, get them? Where did they go? So, uh, yeah, he had a business manager that handled his stuff for many, many years. Uh, his daughter uh, was so traumatized by this episode, you you can't imagine and he didn't she didn't speak of her father she didn't uh answer any of his letters uh she didn't deal with it for many 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 years and about 10 years ago he took steps to reclaim the the uh, position of conservator i guess claim not reclaim and jim was put in a conservatorship and Things were now handled by before that it was kind of hit and miss and 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 crazy stuff happened like some guy got out of prison who'd been with Jim and Jim had given him some author authority to deal with stuff and he sold Jim's Camco sets. So the, really? the Jim Gordon drum sets, they're out there in the world. I, I, I think they've been split up and you know the the the, the, the like a snare drum was yeah. offered for sale on eBay recently. But you know, the the now the conservatorship has uh, been applied and and you know his affairs were much more order. But yeah, the royalties from Layla made him the wealthiest prisoner in the California Penal Authority. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, but that so Amy doesn't want that money. I mean, like, where is that money sitting then? It doesn't, you don't need it as a prisoner, do you? Well, you know, the uh, uh, he he, he never had to work in the laundry, he never had a prison job. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, he had all the cigarettes he wanted. Um, and the 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 everybody knew to hit on him for uh, stuff like cigarettes because. Yeah, and uh, the conservatorship uh, is a, a legal, uh, uh, like a trust yeah. that maintains all the assets under kind of uh, a third party's uh, uh, control. Okay. And and there's a lawyer over in somewhere in the East Bay that that, that mm. handles all that stuff. I just wonder who benefits from that. You know, manages it for who? Who ultimately? 
I, 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 I'm, I'm sure uh, that Amy is the uh, Good. beneficiary. Good. I hope so. Um, I want <laughs> I wanted to compliment you Maybe on it. She's read the book. Has she? Ooh, I meant to. Okay, so what was her thought? Blown away. Really? Blown, Blown away, away because she didn't know a lot of See, that. I have to understand these people. The, the 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 Mike Post was Jim's best friend in high school, and and they started out their music career together. And he was very close to Jim's first wife, and he's Jim's daughter's godfather. So when this all started to coalesce as a project, I reached out to Mike and asked, you know, if we could get some cooperation. Absolutely not. This is a trauma. Nobody wants to deal with it. There's no reason for us to do this. And he was very respectful. Yeah. But definite. So I, I went ahead and researched and wrote the book without their help or cooperation at all. And the day uh, 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 the, I, I sent the manuscript into the publisher and took a vacation. And the first day that I was in Hawaii, the phone rings and it's Mike Post. And he tells me that Jim's dead and that the family wants to send out a release to get ahead of the story, but they don't know how to do that. And they wondered if I would do that. So I sent out the press release that announced Jim's death and the family came around and we conducted interviews with Mike and Amy and the Jill, his first wife. And they were completely now supportive of this project. Uh, so Mike post told me that he realized reading the book that he did not need to feel as guilty as he did that he, could not have helped Jim. And it was like a relief to him. Yes. Yeah. Amy found the information about her father's, the details about her father's illness to be illuminating to her yeah. and to her understanding of this remote but dominating figure in her life. Yeah. Right? This is a guy she really only knew from a distance but that was her father and he never had like the ability to be the kind of father that yeah. we all would want for our daughters yeah uh and that was her road in life and then she was 14 when her grandmother who she was very close to was killed oh so that's the yeah. deal there and and yeah. those guys uh the, the you know the, the the for them to read the book and to come out of it with uh that kind of reaction is extremely validating it uh it should i want to compliment you on so many interesting details that i i just soaked in while i was reading first of all i love the idea that the everly brothers always stop at a and w and get a root beer i i love that I love them, and it, that just feels like wholesome Americana that you sort of imagine the Everly Brothers doing. I also thought it was really interesting when you were depicting that tour that they went on in the UK with the Stones and Little Richard, and it being so clear that the Everlys were old news compared to the Stones as being the new hot thing. That was, I felt for them when I read that section of the book, you know? Well, that was a really exciting time in England, that 1963 and 64, when the, the, all those beat groups were blowing up. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it was, you have no idea the, the, uh, what sunlight that was on shady gray England just coming out of having been bombed every night for five years. Yeah, I can imagine. I, that's why I'm sure that stuff sticks so hard to this day. The other bit of uh, detail that I loved was you had mentioned that, and, and I never knew this was true. I assume it's true that Carly Simon and Mick Jagger are singing your so vain into the same microphone. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. I had, I, I just I, assumed I think that Jagger Mick was, was sort of slapped on her. after the fact. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's great. I could see that. And that Carly's I mean, why playing... else is he showing up to, you know, sing on a record, you know? 
That's a good point. Yeah, he's got better things to do unless he thinks he's going to score by the end of this. Maybe he did. <laughs> I guess we don't know. And then uh, that she's playing the same piano that Paul played Hey Jude on, right? That was a big feature of that studio. Yes. That is such fun detail. I mean, aside, we're talking about all the heavy stuff here. Obviously, it's a heavy story. But the music, the the it's like a travelogue through the 60s and 70s of great artists, great songs, great sessions that Jim was lucky enough to be involved in. And following that story is a lot of fun. The first half of this book, you even have it in part two parts. The first half is all the fun music stuff. So it was really important for me to detail Jim's artistic life. Yeah. He's been treated as a criminal, as a killer, and as a freak. And that's just couldn't be further from the truth. And I want to take issue with you again. Oops. She wasn't lucky to be on those records. She was a surgeon. He was a scientist. She was a component of what made hit records in Hollywood. Whether it's Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman or Ricky Don't Lose That Number by Steely Dan, Jim is in there contributing to the success of these records in very substantial ways. That was the game. Starting about 1964, three sessions a day, six days a week, three songs a session, nine to ten songs a day, before long, and, and playing with a lot of the same musicians, before long, you have developed an expertise and a technical ability way beyond what other people have. And, and the whole pursuit was hit records. Yeah. So that was a scientific thing, and it wasn't luck. Uh, Jim was a, a, a piece of the, of the hit record-making machine. And you can hear it in records like Grazing in the Grass by the Friends of Distinction or My Maria by B.W. Stevenson or yeah. How About That You Are So Vain drum part. You yes. think that had anything to do with that being a big hit record? Totally. I bet it did. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Good Vibrations. There's tons of other ones, too. Um, one of the things, too, going back to You're So Vain, um, you mentioned that Andy Newmark, who's also a hugely accomplished drummer, wants to be in the room to watch Jim play drums so that he can learn how, how to do it. Is that right? Andy took the first crack at You're So Vain. He was in Carly's band at that time. And this is the beginning of his career. This is before Fresh and, and all those things that made his reputation. So, And he took the first crack at it. <clears throat> Richard Perry, the producer, brought in a British session player to take the second crack at it. And Jim just happened to be passing through London with the Frank Zappa band and had a night off and got in touch with Richard and Richard brought him into the studio. Andy was there and asked Jim, could he watch and sat in the corner of the drum booth yeah. for five hours, 60 takes. He said in all that time, Jim never made one mistake. That crazy. Isn't that crazy? And so many times where he did it in one take or didn't, it, like, there's the story of him needing to double his drums. The Tom Petty session. Yes. And he does it in, again, just one, it, from memory, just goes in and does it one more time without any problems. Perfectly so this is safe. what I was saying about Jim's mentality. I mean, his brain was wired to yeah. play drum. It was also wired for other things, too. Yes. But he understood and had intuitive abilities to just put him in a realm by himself. I don't know. I've had drummers explain the gym style to me. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you retard the beat on, uh, on the second beat, and then it puts a roll in the rest of the measure. But that doesn't do it because in order to divide time that accurately, you have to have instincts that are tuned into something way beyond what notation can write. I mean, this is not like hemi, semi, demi quaver. We're talking yeah. beyond notation. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. I also thought it was really interesting that he 
when I so he divorces his first wife Jill. Jill takes up with this guy Mike McGinnis. Mike McGinnis puts out an album, and he asks Jim to drum on that album, and they get along fine with each other. They're buddies. There's no like you know resentment of Mike being with Jim's first wife. That's interesting. I think Jim felt that Mike was a a, a supportive um, parent substitute. I think I oh, think you know he 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 was uh, happy that that. Amy had Mike in his uh, life and that, that he didn't have to be responsible uh, fully for Amy. That So I think that was there as that. I think Mike was a, a guy that people liked. I mean, everybody yeah. I talked to about him. And and again, he didn't want to talk about this uh, stuff. <laughs> I mean, sure. in, in going out to research this book, I got a lot of people that did not want to be involved at all. Just the didn't story want to turn too, it back up or go Too there complicated, yeah. too dark, too involved no thank you yeah um lastly uh i'll let you go after this i thought it was so interesting assuming i got this right that i'm originally from utah salt lake city and jim you know, I, I i had a british friend uh who was photographing indians in a reservation i i, I said where are you going this weekend he goes oh i'm going to utah, utah. <laughs> i said tony utah <laughs> <laughs> My yeah, no one calls U it that anymore. <laughs> my family's from Utah. Really? Yeah, my father uh, uh, grew up in Tooele, Utah. Really? And uh, his his uh, uh, father was a Russian immigrant uh, whose uh, uh, older uh, brother-in-law was Arthur Marks. And I, I you know, uh, the men's clothing store in downtown Salt Lake City. It's still there. Arthur yes. Marks. Yeah. Wow. Was your dad LDS? Jewish. Well, that's what I assume. That's why I think this is really interesting. So I'm not talking to one of my uh, cousin's wives. She grew up LDS. I says, do your parents have a problem with you marrying Jews? And she goes, they were just happy I stopped dating Catholics. <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh that's great well speaking of salt lake city if i do the math right jim's live playing his playing live career begins and ends in salt lake city his first gig is with the You're everly right. brothers yes his first you gig is with the everly's in salt lake and his last is with hall and oats in salt lake city Burton cummings yeah or Oh, I thought it was Hall & Oates. Was it Burton Cummings? The, the Hall & Oates were the headliners. Oh, got it. Yes, that makes more sense. Yes. Isn't that interesting? And I was from Salt Lake. So I'm from Salt Lake, so both those things sparked my imagination. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's that's for your prey image for your hometown. Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. Yeah. The, yeah. Jim's live career. You know, eh, you know, a few dates with Chad uh, and Jeremy, and then... Blaney and Bonnie, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, and uh, Derek and the Dominoes, and Traffic, and that and and that's pretty much it. There's you know a few one-off gigs like he did a, a handful of European gigs with Johnny Rivers, did a Euro English tour with David Gates, you know, and then the Burton Cummings tour, which was yeah. him trying to run away from the voices. Totally, that was kind of the last hurrah, and it eventually did him in. Joel, I I really felt like this was one of the better music books i've ever read i enjoyed every, it was one of those books that it, i could not put down i read it quickly it's easy to read it's not particularly long you you talk a second ago about how complicated the story was according to some people it's not complicated in your hands you detail this thing from beginning to end in such a way where like i said you come away really feeling sorry for jim understanding what he was up against understanding how tormented he was and feeling really sorry for him and it it's a it's a triumph i really really love this book i really did well thank you so much that's mission accomplished for me i set out to offer jim gordon some of the long overdue compassion that he has coming yeah uh he he earned his place in music history the 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 CV the the playlist is 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 un incomparable. Yes, it is. And to have it erased 
just because of this of a crime that he committed it it flies in the face of any kind of understanding of mental illness and and any kind of like a, appreciation of of what this guy struggle was mm-hmm. so yeah mission accomplished if you ended up feeling sorry for jim yeah i i, I did too and and I, I i think that's the right response i do too i do too and your book makes that very clear i loved every page of it i really did thank you joel for chatting with me again we're gonna put this out we'll time it probably closer to the release of the book at the end of february but i'm happy to get the word out because i loved it i really did well thanks so much are you gonna are you gonna put some records in yes in fact that's a really good question what would you we usually do like an intro and an outro song to kick it off and a song at the end what would be your favorite maybe well obvious or less obvious jim gordon moment right so you know uh the thing about that is Jim was such a musical drummer and he embeds his parts so thoroughly in the compositions. It's not like there's a really obvious show-off places, right? right? Yeah. So there's an incredible drum break in Grazing in the Grass. Mm-hmm. There is a fantastic uh, uh, a piece on a Johnny Rivers album called L.A. Reggae um, where he takes over... Uh, What's the uh, Brown Eyed Girl, the Van Morrison song? Oh, yeah. Uh, but of course, there is an incredible drum solo on Jump Into the Fire by Nielsen. That, I didn't even piece together that that was him. But yeah, you're right. Incredible. That's, no symbols. No symbols. Crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. That's a yeah. good one. Okay. Yes. Well, then we're going to insert. And then, some uh, of course, songs. my favorite of all of them is My Maria. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. It yeah. uh, it just the the drum the drum part just drives and lifts that track so much. Uh huh. But it's not a show off thing at all. No. Let me ask you one other thing. Also, in reading the book, I reached out to Rita to see. I've always she's another one like Mike, who I've always had in mind for maybe coming Lovely on the show. Gal. Lovely That's what gal. I keep hearing, and I haven't yeah. heard back. I'm hoping that I do. And it, like all the others, she doesn't have to talk about Jim if she doesn't want to. It's just that the book kind of prompted me to reach out. So, okay, so she's a good person. You you would recommend that? She's a lovely gal. She wrote a a, a very sort of uh, you know light and 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 uh, you know sort of little frothy uh, autobiography uh, and. She has a story that of her relationship with Jim that doesn't quite correspond to people who observed it. Okay. okay. Including the fact that they continued their relationship after the assault. Really? Okay. Yeah, that's something she's, you know, she says, I never talked to Jim again. No, man, Booker remembers her uh, her uh, going out to the camper and spending the night in his drive in his driveway with her. So yeah, you mentioned that in the book. I I assumed that that punch would be the end of their relationship, but you said it continued on after that too. So it's very typical of abused women, of course. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting too. I didn't realize that she had been with Leon and broken up, and then took up with Jim. But Jim is working closely with Leon. You really come away with this is this sounds really indelicate to say, but this idea of like rock stars sort of passing girlfriends and the the inner you know what i mean the inner working the the sharing well, that was a very that was a very small group of people that were active in los angeles at that time it really was just a tiny yeah. little community and and they even lived in the same neighborhoods pretty much it's not like they were spread out over the valley and the west yeah. side you know it was all sort sure. of hollywood hills and 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 so yeah that the uh there, there was a lot of incestuousness and what's up Odell, Chris Odell was another Leon Russell girlfriend that Jim yes. picked up with. Yeah. And and I, I think that got to be some bad vibes between Jim and Leon, although that didn't stop Leon from using him on sessions. <laughs> That's that was my take exactly. Like I, no one everyone seems to just look away and keep going, you know? But I guess if you know, Jim is the gold that's gonna make your song a hit, why not? exactly i mean what what do you want you know you, you're as hot as your last hit record and 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 this guy was all that that's right yeah and so that's yeah right. you know so uh bob glob is the bass player uh 
And he was in an episode with Jim in a recording studio where Jim just flipped out and screamed at him and 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 kind of scary, right? Yeah. Threw the drumsticks down and 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 like just a couple few weeks later, he's with Jackson Brown and Jackson's getting ready to put a band together, got on tour, but he he, he doesn't have his usual guys. And uh Glob says, why don't we uh, try Jim Gordon? He's a little crazy, but there's nobody better. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. And with his with his conflicting feeling, conflicted by as my feelings are about Eric Clapton these days, I sort of felt sorry for him when he gives Jim this old antique drum as a Christmas present, and Jim opens it and is like, "What am I supposed to do with this?" You know, the Derek and the Dominoes guys were in full dysfunction and and it, it it's not just the personalities involved it's the drugs and alcohol yeah. uh massive monumental amounts of drugs and alcohol with those guys and you just can't maintain really sound human relations under that kind of a a, a situation where right. you're thrown so tightly together and pass on to that all this heroin cocaine tequila everything yeah. So no, those guys were definitely like, you, you know, in bad shape, and 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 it's clear that as as Jim was getting more and more sick, yeah, he was keeping it in. I think he felt a lot of shame around this. I think I know he he, he thought like that he should be able to handle this that that this these problems that he was intelligent and capable, and he should be able to triumph over this stuff and he couldn't and that was frustrating shameful and and he worked really hard at keeping all this inner turmoil under this mask of this genial compliant collaborative character and it would burst out at times but for the most part that was what he collected himself to present yeah and and that's how he had to deal with the world but i talk a lot people that were on hundreds of sessions with jim and i'd say well you know did did you ever have dinner with him no did you know he was married no did you know he had a daughter no just in and out oh just you know i mean you know yeah. dean parks is saying oh well we're busy there you know i go dean do you know what <laughs> do you know michael omardian's wife he goes yeah <laughs> have you had dinner with my yeah <laughs> yes. Yes. i know it is weird it is weird that he just didn't i don't know it was all he's like a machine he was the like psychiatrist a psychiatrist couldn't get it either no. it was it, he was never diagnosed as schizophrenic until after the crime wow all the psychiatrists who saw him thought he was too high functioning to be severely mentally ill so you know depressive yeah mood uh disorder yeah uh but nobody even suspected schizophrenia because the guy was so accomplished right right it's insane well your book is wonderful thanks again joel so we talked to dean parks and uh, i mean i talked to about 20 of those guys that were on those sessions uh and and, and they're also interesting because what they do for uh, as as professionals is entirely different from what other musicians do i mean they don't play their music they play other people's music and it's their goal to elevate that to make their other people's music as excellent as it can be good point so uh, it, it gives them a a, a, a vantage point that's kind of egoless mm-hmm. and as a result they're they're like well you know like they're like fine artists or 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 it, 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 you know, people that uh, do portrait painting or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you're right. And, and they're super aware and 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 quite conscious of of all th- that goes on around them. Yeah. So it's a good I, I like the whole studio musician. Um, I thing. do too. I think it's great, and they all have great stories. Anyway, you know Steve Miller said, "No, uh, uh, he re- he re- he read the book and he said, God, what was I doing with Tim Davis and Lonnie Turner all those years?'" that's hilarious (laughs) oh right on all right thanks joel have a good one sir thank you 
All right, there you have it, Joel Selvin. The book is Drums and Demons, The Tragic Journey of Jim Gordon. And again, like I said, it's one of the best music-related books I think I've ever read. It's an easy read. It's an, it's an entertaining read. It's going to make you question some things you think about people who do horrible things like murder other people. It, it's so enlightening in terms of mental health and what this guy, the demons that he was dealing with throughout his life that brought him to the place that he was. Uh, it, it's, it's odd, I guess, to feel sorry for someone who does such a horrible thing. But when you understand why, uh, it, it makes more sense. It's a fantastic book. So, like I said, I have an extra copy to give away to a Patreon supporter. Uh, if you want to be included in this, join our Patreon if you haven't already. It's $2 a month. And then you can just set it and forget it. And you'll be in the running to win any and all swag that I give away like this. I'm going to post uh, on the Patreon page later this week and pick a winner over the weekend. Okay? Anyway, huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man for everything. Oh, by the way, this is My Maria that uh, Joel mentioned as being one of his favorite songs. B.W. Stevenson, such a good song. Anyway, thanks, folks. We love you.